Hey guys, welcome to the You Make the Scene podcast. My name is Josh. This is episode number 104. This week on the show, I've got kind of a unique week. I don't do this super often, but uh, this week you're getting two episodes. On Wednesday, I dropped the normal weekly episode. Um, Wednesdays are the normal release schedule. But I wanted to get this conversation out there as well. Uh, It's my conversation with Casey Cavalier from The Wonder Years, which obviously you can tell from the title. Uh, But it was important that I get this one out there because they're getting ready to go out on tour. Uh, The record process, which is Casey's podcast, is getting ready to start season two. Um, And yeah, we wanted to just get all the information out there as quick as possible. I was going to hold it, but... um, you know, I just felt like giving you guys kind of this double whammy week and uh, really letting this get out there ahead of some of the things that, that he's working on was a, a good idea. So, um, yeah, Casey's awesome. Ha- had a great time talking with him. Um, I had a little bit of trouble figuring out where to, to put you guys into this conversation because um, although this was the first time Casey and I ever talked um, at least in podcast format. I think we met at Warp Tour, you know, a few years back, but obviously that's in the past. Uh, but no, we, uh, kind of started off this Zoom almost like friends just catching up, you know, talking about the weather, seeing how the last year's been for each other, things like that. Um, super cool. Uh, and, you know, as always, I want to thank Casey for taking the time in his schedule to do this episode. So, um, yeah, we're just going to dive into this because Casey and I talk about a ton of stuff, really cool things that are happening. Um, and I don't want to take away from that. So let's just dive in to this conversation with Casey Cavalier of the wonder years and the record process. Yeah, it, it was definitely insane. And we can definitely talk about that later as well. And, um, for now though, let's, let's dive in let's start with, because it's kind of the earliest thing that's getting ready to happen here. Um, the anniversary tour kicks off here in just a couple days now, uh, upsides and suburbia's 10 year anniversary for the wonder years. Obviously looking back in hindsight, it's easy to say, you knew that you had something in that moment, right? Like looking back that album site cycle and set was like, very impactful in the pop punk community and and things at that moment do you think you guys realized what you were onto yet uh no certainly not in the scale or magnitude of, of what it looks like you know 10 plus years later um i think any any band or any artist that when you're putting something forward and you're releasing it to the public uh you think it's good you know you there's clearly a reason why you think it, it deserves to be out there and so i think that probably um, was certainly the case in its own way that we felt really good about it. We were excited to play it and we're very, uh, I, I mean, pleasantly su- surprised with the response, both of upsides too. That was an exciting period. But then I really think also suburbia is when things started to, to really kind of get supercharged in terms of our career and us understanding ourselves with, um, you know, a new member, multiple guitar players and starting to, crack that nut creatively and understand what we really had and and what our strengths um 
might be. And and what's interesting is, um, you know, we'll talk about uh, the podcast in a little bit here that I do, but um, that's that's kind of a really interesting period and and ties right into a lot of the motivation for talking about the creative process and the things and factors. Because even that that time and place in our history as a band was one that was extremely full of self-discovery whether or not we were really realizing it or, or fully giving it the weight, you know, that we might now in hindsight. Yeah. You add a, you know, a third guitar player, but then also, you know, like it brings in a lot of dynamics. And I remember having some of those questions and, um, and thinking what we could do and how we could change or evolve the sound from, from that first record upsides to suburbia even. Um, but then there's also stuff where I, I look back on it and I'm like, man, we just really didn't overthink that. And I love it. You know, we're just like, just fast. It needs to be a fast song, you know? Um, and there's a, there's a nice charm to that as well. I think even looking back and having now sat through, um, re-listening, uh, back to a lot of those songs, uh, you know, and getting them under finger, which surprisingly enough, I thought it was going to be a lot harder, <laughs> um, to tackle multiple records and B sides and everything. There were some that I just, I got halfway through and I was like, Oh, Okay, that's what I was doing. Right. And it's still there. It's just still locked and stored away. It's like I was sorting through files and I'm like, ah, there it is. Okay. And then I'd like don't even need I I if I pretty much like could just close my eyes and like go through the rest of it once I remembered what position and, and stuff. So it was interesting um going back through that. And some of course we've played um, you know, plenty of times over the years. Um but yeah, dude, it was um I think we thought, um, I think we thought that it was having an impact, but I'm not sure we really saw the full scope of it. Um, maybe even until we got to greatest generation and we're like, Oh, there, there are themes that are now really coming to a head and all working together, uh, across multiple albums. And, um, which even, you know, started the talk of like trilogy. Was it an intentional trilogy? No. Did we, when we wrote upsides, did we think, you know, did we plan out the next two? Uh, I, I wish I could say that it was some brilliant scheme, but it was just like most things creatively, something that you realize and allow to happen and to pivot and lean into when you're in it, you know, and as you're moving forward after you take those steps. So I think it was a, a really great example of that. So I think now they play off of each other. And in that way, it, it is kind of cool to do them back to back because half of the night will sound a little different, whether it be from, you know, the guitar sounds and stylistic stuff that we're writing to just the time and place where everybody was like, oh man, that record, I was like here. And then that record, which admittedly they didn't come they didn't come out very far apart, but a year, two years can change a lot, you know, at a certain age, depending on what it is. So it's really cool. And especially digging back into all that and hearing those anecdotes from fans that are still around, still really excited, uh, especially after the hellish two years that we've had. It, I can't, I can't think about it or talk about it without smiling. So if you can't hear that, uh, take Josh's word for it, that I am uh, beaming. Uh, it was very funny. A ear, friend of mine. Ear to ear. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, was it the other night? I guess I was, um, I was answering some questions on Instagram uh, real quick, just to kind of like 
pass some time and um, right. and have fun. And I like doing it too, to, you know, because I I we live in an era where you know it would it's much easier to kind of reach out if someone opens themselves up to you know to some questions. And I and I like um, I like if I have an answer or something that might be substantive, putting being able to put it out there that quick. And I was talking about some of them were obviously tour related. And one of my uh, studio clients, uh, Lucas, who plays in a band called Vanity Draft from Philadelphia, who are awesome, who you should you should definitely check out if you're into like the modern um, tinge of like hyper pop, um, yeah. like pop punk, um, like early 2000s resurgence. Super cool, incredible writers uh, and performers. But anyway, it, it texted me and was like, man. I love watching you on these stories because you are just glowing with excitement. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. I I probably am because I I feel that way. So yeah. um, You know, it's uh, I guess it, it, we know now that it was special, but (laughs) we didn't at the time. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, again, to see it now versus, I mean, I remember when the albums came out and kind of the headspace I was in and, you know, there there were some deep connections to those songs and hearing the passion that, that Dan was putting into the vocals and things like that at the time. And you could just see that, you know, you guys were, I think, revitalized might be a bad, bad term because I don't think you were on a downswing necessarily. But it just, there was a new energy, it felt like, with that album, um, with Suburbia specifically. And it just, I think, took a lot of fans or like maybe casual listeners and forced them to look at you guys and be like, Oh, there's something here and I need to hang around to see what it is. Yeah. And we've always been, um, in a lot of ways, a very album centric band, not because, uh, we love, not because we're like the Beatles and just have uh, hundreds of thousands of songs and we're just trying to get them all out. Um, but more because I think, uh, and I talk uh, with a lot of younger bands when when we sit down to do like a project if, if it's in the studio or something we talk about the scope of whatever release um, or project or sessions that they want to do and a lot of bands are like okay well like we have the budget for one song or like th- I think we want to do three and we not only talk about okay that's great you know one song better than none 100% but then what does three allow you to do in terms of showing depth to an audience and to, you know, a potential fan base that might come in and, and look at what you are offering and where your influence, unique influences are kind of pulling to what subsect of whatever genre and world you're trying to live in five songs. Well, now you can put like the ballad. Now you can put the obligatory acoustic track on You know what I mean? Like you can, you can, you can start to push in a lot of different directions. And then when you have a full LP, I think that allows you an exponential amount of not only creative freedom, but uh, canvas uh, across which to kind of cement a lot of these ideas in really rich detail uh, and also plant some some Easter eggs, which we always grow, grew up loving bands that did that and, you know, songwriters that were that... Um, that you know like powerful in in how they approached uh the craft of telling a story and the uh, doing lps and and doing albums was really where we started to find our footing sure there was an album that came out you know before uh upsides but it, it you know in its own way had that but was 
a, in, in a lot of ways a different band. And I think that's also why with Upsides and then also Suburbia, we kind of had all of had this shift of like, okay, things that mean something to us that are not just kind of, you know, um, slapstick disposable, like rom cartoony rom-com type surface level stuff, you know? Um, and, uh, and that, that probably has a lot to do with it. And I think that conversation for us as a band, it, you know, still to this day, we understand and fully respect the power of how we curate, especially even, I mean, we're in like a very singles driven music economy now, but still, you know, um, you'll, it just commoditizes a lot of ours to be like, to be relegated to that one song on a playlist. And sure, that's great. You know, if you get like, like a million streams, that feels really good. Uh, but I, what I always say is now, sometimes more so than streams, it's like, well, what's going to keep someone coming back and, and reaching through? Um, and for us, it was, we've learned, you know, across, you know, a decade and a half plus that it's, it's some of those Easter eggs. It's those moments that really aren't like the standout, like boom, like focus track, single, like radio hit. Um, it's some of the deeper stuff, which is what's really cool about, you know, doing this tour where sure, is everyone going to like 30 songs cannot be like everyone's favorite. So like, it's just the math on that does not work. Right. Um, but some of those songs might have a very specific meaning, uh, you know, and so by the end of the night, I assume there will, I hope anyway, if you were there and were not tricked into coming there, like I was once tricked into coming, going to a Smashing Pumpkins show where <laughs> it turned out to be an album play for an, a new record that I didn't even know had come out. And I was like, right. well, I mean, it's cool. We're in Brooklyn. I, I it's, can say you I know, saw them, but... You know. Wasn't yeah, but this is not exactly, you know, and then they rush through like the, the obligatory like five songs and I'm just like, eh, I don't know, whatever. I just like I, at the same time, I'm not going to judge like, you know, um, I totally get it because now we are on that side. Right. But, um, you know, it is uh, it's a large undertaking. So it's it's very much for those fans, too, that, that have yeah. that relationship with it, you know, so. Yeah. And I want to touch on I. I think we'll touch on it again in the uh, as we get into like your studio stuff and whatnot. But that single centric kind of economy that we're in right now, I almost see it as as damaging to some extent to the music industry because now bands or artists are forced to okay, you dropped a single, maybe it trended really well, you know, you got your million streams, TikTok picked it up as a sound, whatever. But now you're chasing that versus putting out a body of work right. that really can stand on its own. You're not necessarily in this mindset of, oh, shit, I've set my own benchmark and now I have to try to keep climbing back up to that. Right. Yeah. And chasing virality will lead you to some of the darkest, saddest corners of the Internet where people are just like doing the strangest, oddest stuff just for the sake of being weird. And I'm like, it's sometimes something like something can come out of that, but also, uh, and Hey, again, would never judge if it's like, if you really want to be doing whatever weird, like thing that is that you're doing and you're getting, you're getting enjoyment out of it and it's not hurting anybody else, honestly do it for the rest of your life. You know, because I think my, my biggest thing and what I try to reinforce, um, in, in a lot of the conversations I have 
is the idea that, hey, if you do hit on something, guess what? It's like a one hit wonder thing where you're going to have to play that every night for the rest of your life. It'll become your health song if you really hate what you're doing. So choose wisely and be careful what you wish for. And also a lot of people that do go viral, it's not, it, sometimes it's like, oh shit, I just put that out and it, it, it's got a million views. That's crazy. Right. But more times than not, the people that put something out go viral and then have a sustained career and get into that, whatever it is, like influencer kind of sphere. Um, they're the ones that have been doing something and putting out content and refining and figuring out what they are good at, what their strengths are, figuring out what audiences react to that they do and what audience don't react to and how they feel about it and how they can curate that better. And then, so it's, it's like the iceberg. It's the, it's the 90% below the surface and the preparation that nobody sees, they just see the one viral video pop off. Right. So, but the ones that are truly setting set up for success when that happens are the ones that were doing whatever they were doing and knew themselves when they got to that point. Cause then they'll actually understand, Oh, it's not just the weirdness and randomness of that video. It's actually me and this aspect of my personality that, uh, that puts it over the edge and I can tap into that whenever I want, you know? Um, so I think that is, that's a really important lesson too. And, and I, by no means consider myself a social media guru, you know, um, I'm very far from it, but, uh, I, you know, I just look at, uh, even just like basic marketing values in terms of the way music is marketed and the way artists um, try to like position themselves and find people that they think will genuinely care about what they're doing and, and give them a good reason to care, you know? Um, yeah. and, and that's ultimately what, I, what people are a lot, a lot of times floundering to try to do uh, with these platforms. And I think, remember at the core, figure out who you are, what you want to do. And that and it might just be the fact that what you do is really great. You're just trying to consistently put it. It's just in the front of the wrong audience. You're just, you know what I mean? Like you're an incredible athlete. You just play the wrong sport. You know what I mean? Um, so sometimes it's, it, it might just be that simple, but you're only going to find that out by trial and error and being open to pivoting. And, you know, sometimes the more stoic wisdom, the obstacle becomes the way, you know, Hey, I'm not having success on this, or I literally can't do this because of some certain physical restriction. Well, this is what I can do. So here's my new lane. Oh, wow. That kind of seems serendipitous. So, um, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to wrap your head around it and, and it's very easy to get overwhelmed, uh, which is why we need breaks, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let's touch on the, the tour again here real quick. So kicks off February 5th, this episode I was going to hold, but I think I'm going to drop this as a special episode so that Ooh. we can get it out before tour starts. Um, I'll probably drop it this coming Friday, as a matter of fact. Um, but so kicking off February 5th, running all the way to March 25th, you guys have sold out shows. You have so many shows with low tickets. What's it like, you know, cause I remember the very first time I saw you guys was at a little spot in Indy called the ES jungle. And it was in the basement of a fucking oh, wow. church. Yep. And, you know, to see you guys come this far now and selling out shows and, you know, these are not small rooms in a lot of these towns. What's that journey feel like now to you knowing where you came from and the, the hustle and the DIY that you busted your ass in? 
Yeah. You know what's really neat about that, Josh? Uh, the fact that exactly what you just said, the majority of people that are coming to these shows, uh, I think at least judging by the feedback that we've had, uh, people just talking about the tour online and messaging us, remembering that these are all, even though they're large rooms, uh, they are all rooms that will be sensibly full of people with similar anecdotes of that of like i saw you on this and you know and it's it's interesting too i asked the question too like what's your favorite wonder years era to um you know to people on instagram and it was i, I was like i expected to be like okay cool i'm clearly taking question talking about these records so of course people are going to be like like that record you know one of the two of those it was I, it was pretty split. A lot of my uh, my darker creatives really gravitated towards No Closer to Heaven and spawned some interesting discussion. And I love that record, um, you know, and then a lot of like greatest gen sister cities toss ups in there, too. But um, yeah, it, remembering that it's a lot of friggin people. It's a lot of tickets, way more than I think we ever thought we would sell in an entire lifetime. Um, and let alone, um, you know, across like a six week span, right? Um, that's extremely, um, extremely crazy to us. And, and not a, not a second of that is lost on us. The gratitude is very high, um, in, in that regard and always has been for us. But I think that's the biggest thing for me is at one by one, seeing those come in and realizing every night when we step on a stage, it's a room full of those and the first time I saw you was in this basement or was at this weird pizza place in Bakersfield or is that the, you know, you played to like five people and there was a guy that like had, like there was a fight in the parking lot and the cops got caught, you know, like, um, uh, all of those it's, it's all stories, you know, it's all like, Hey, even if I don't remember that exact story that happened at that exact show, I love that you remember it because we were both there and that made an impact. Maybe the story from of that night was not even, it had anything to do with our set. Maybe we were fucking terrible, right? Because there was a time in our career where we were not extremely polished as a live band. I'll be very candid about that. There was always energy, but there was not always, um, you know, an incredible um, pre precision caliber tightness. Um, yeah. That came with time, right? Um, and so maybe it was one of those shows and you're like, this band is awful. But you remembered it, and then ten years later, you're like, "Wow, sound different." Uh, you're like, kind of okay now. That's pretty crazy. Uh, so, and, and everything in between of those stories. So, I love it because I'll look out um, on the crowd and kind of remember that. Uh, and even for then, people that you know have come in along the way, realizing that they get to feel the weight, even though they might not know those records or have the same, you know, um, have been in the same world to digest them at that time and place that a lot of other people um and have those like super old memories and anecdotes that they get to be in a room full of people that are having that much fun and reliving those songs is awesome too because that's the experience i want everybody to have i think that's why people go and see live music because they want to have that shared collective experience they don't want to just always listen to the record alone in their house because that is great and i i love digesting music like that a lot obviously i do it <laughs> on a daily basis um right. but uh yeah so i think that's what i'll i'll kind of look at and take with as we as we head out into this tour yeah 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 I, and like i said to me i 
in a weird way, you know, I feel like I've grown up with you guys because I remember seeing you in that basement show and I had the time of my life at that show. And I remember, you know, not trying to, tr you know, fully trigger your memory on it, but like this basement show, you guys were on like maybe foot and a half foot risers and Dan had to duck like six times to avoid this fucking pipe that's in the basement there. Like just stupid shit like that. And it's like, we, we came out of there the sweatiest, grossest fucking people, but it was, we all loved the music, you know, and it was just such a, an energy. And I think for me, um, March 5th, I think it is, you guys are going to be in Fort Wayne. Uh, so that's the show that I'm trying to get to. Uh, Cause that's only like an hour, hour and a half away from me. Um, but you know, I, I want that again, even if I'm covering the show, like I want that feel where I want to just kind of what you just said. I want the people in that room to hopefully be the ones like me that remember those younger days and go, fuck yes. Like it's all come so far. Right. And I think there's a, there's a nice little, um, there's a nice little part of it where it actually ends up by seeing that and then either like the younger generation or crowd that have now gotten into like older records. It's actually somebody's like asked me like, Hey, what do you think of the Blink album neighborhoods? And I was like, honestly, I don't even know how much I listen to it. Like I just, I missed that generation. And we almost talk about like, how old are you based on what your favorite Blink record is? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and that's when I realized I was like, wow, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, not putting our, us like on that, that same like level in terms of the genre, but in terms of like, oh, like I'm an upsides person, like, you know, or I'm a great, and all of them are awesome. And we appreciate all of them equally. Like you shouldn't be punished for finding out about something late, right? Like that's right. so dumb. And, you know, I'd like to think that we, you know, aged out of that in like junior high and high school, but uh, you know, ideally, um, yes, ideally, yes, but uh, maybe not always the case. So, uh, you know, I, I do love that and I want that. And then it's that sense of community that gets passed down because younger kids go to like a, their first show, first punk show, whatever it is. And they're like, oh, I get it. Like everyone like is having a great time. Everyone is super respectful. And that's also uh, always been, like been a very important thing to us because we played a lot of shows very early on either supporting younger, you know, on the bill where you don't always see the best come out in people in like a crowd environment like that. And that is one thing that we like to hopefully and ideally pride ourselves on that everybody that shows up knows and takes a cue from anything that we've said over the years to be like, Hey, just know that like the person in front of you in line for the bathrooms, the person at the bar, the person next, you know, on stage, it's like everybody wants to be there for the same reason. And they all are coming from very different places physically, emotionally. So just be mindful of that. And if you can help make somebody else's night that much better by being that much less of a dick, how awesome would that be? Right. Um, so that is, you know, that is at least what we what we hope to see as well when it comes to like passing the torch and and not just passing the music on, but passing the ethos and that sense of community that we got passed on from older kids that were in like the the punk scene and, and hardcore scenes that that we kind of came up in as well. So, yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's 
I've seen you guys at, at Warp Tour, you know, ES Jungle, a couple other venues, and I think what you said is is super true of your fan base that regardless of the age demographic necessarily regardless of the walk of life that maybe people came through i think your fan base and i i would like to say a lot of the pop punk punk hardcore fan base is like this but i think most of the fan base understands like we're all here to have a good fucking time me being shitty towards somebody else that loves the same thing that I love is accomplishing nothing. Yeah. And Hey, honestly, I'll, I'll be real. That doesn't mean that there's still somehow like 16 years later fights in the, at the Wilmington right. Delaware show at the queen. It's like, there are chandeliers hanging here. What are we doing? Like, you right. know, uh, and we'll stop the show and call you on and be like, really? Is it that important? Like, um, you know, because it's just, there's there's nothing that gets solved by it except from an ego standpoint truly you know um and it just all it does beyond that is even though you might not realize it in the moment if you're that person is it just ruins every what everybody else's night around you because it makes them uncomfortable it makes them worried about what you're gonna do it makes them worried about their own safety you know um and then and i don't want that i want you if you came there you came there to watch a movie it's like now you're being the person that's like throwing popcorn behind someone at the movie theater and right. you know talking loudly on their self but whatever you know what i mean like whatever anecdote it's like just it's pretty easy don't be that person we'll be done in like an hour you know well a little bit longer on this tour um it can't exactly get two records plus in in an hour um so unless you know Unless we Just want Michael to like, everything together. Yeah. Unless we, unless Michael gets like robot legs and arms, um, <laughs> right. and can just like put them in turbo mode. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, the thing, a lot of those people that, that do start shit at shows don't really think about is especially when you start moving up, like you guys have moved up at a basement show security may or may not really exist you know the old vfw holes it was a, the wild west right it definitely doesn't exist it's like a drunk vet that's smoke right. chain smoking <laughs> outside the door that he right. also doesn't want to deal with it and also doesn't want the cops to get called because everything's probably not super on the level on their end right. either like you know what i mean right. so yeah so they're not going to do anything but as the ven yeah but as the venues grow and now you're playing at, at venues that are live nation or you know some of these large large promoters they don't fuck around with that stuff like you get caught by their security not only are you kicked out for the night there's potential that the cops are called there's potential that you're banned from the the venue like why do that to yourself either like not only are you ruining everybody else's night you may have just got yourself on a list to where you can't show up to a venue anymore like who wants that yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm sure people don't go in there intending for that to be the case, but you know, Typically. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe I, I've, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of factors at play and we just, whatever we can do to go, uh, you know, any extra mile, we, again, we can't control that the actions of everybody, but we can learn from previous experiences and say, Hey, maybe this would 
could try to fix it. Maybe it won't, maybe it will, you know, but um, at least trying stuff, I think is, is a way to try and grow and, and ultimately make it safer, um, yeah. you know, hopefully. Right. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's also talk about a little bit. You guys announced that you've got some really cool merch shit coming out along with this out this uh, tour. You guys are dropping a guitar tab and bass tab book for people. What kind of went into that mindset that, you know, obviously anybody that wants to learn it, YouTube exists, they're going to figure it out. But like, obviously, some of it's the band and business side, right? That this is a cool piece of merch that nobody really does anymore. But also at the same time, I feel like, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn on it, there's some of the kind of the torch passing, like you were talking about, like, we play some cool shit, whether we're going to brag about it or not here's how you can play it and maybe make something cool yourself. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of all of those. It's a little bit of fans asking about it, you know, Hey, would you ever be willing to do this? Because I, you know, I'm learning some of these, but on some of the records, uh, you know, the mix makes it hard to decipher that last, that third part or whatever that I'm trying to play, you know, like, or I think I almost know that riff. And, and then you see a lot of really, I'll say um, inventive versions that come about on YouTube where I'm just like, ah, that's, I could have played that chord. I don't think I did uh, on record, but I mean, maybe, you know? Um, so uh, this was also a way to, you know, again, I don't care. Like if you're playing the wrong chord progression and singing, but loving it, great. It's a derivative work. You're in, you're loving life. Cool job done. Same job as whether or not, like, I don't need you. I don't, I don't need to insert myself to be like, you know what, for you to actually enjoy it. I need you to enjoy it completely perfectly. However, there are certain fans, um, that are musicians themselves and are trying to evolve. And I think one of the really cool ways of evolving, uh, as we all know, um, being in the band and coming up and, and, and kind of learning songs, covering songs when you, like you do when you're a kid, that's how you kind of learn what your initial tastes are for things, especially on your own instrument. And, um, we thought that this would be a cool way to maybe unlock a few of those things, you know, maybe it's a cool project to be like, Hey, I'm going to learn all of the leads on this. Or, you know, I've always wanted to like dig into something and here's like, you know, 12, 13 songs that great. I can like play all the way through it. Um, and then what a perfect opportunity too with this, you know, and us going out and playing it start to front was also when we had this discussion, I was like, maybe this is the perfect time to do it because everybody will see it start to finish. You know, we can, um, we can have it. And it's that right time place where if ever there was a time to, to dig in and, and be, you know, re-inspired by it, it, it might be, um, these next two months. So yeah. Um, and of course I, I, we think it's cool. I, I grew up loving when I, you know, I would go, God, I guess it was like Sam Goody or the wall back then. You know what I mean? Back when like record stores, um, or CD stores <laughs> were a thing, you know? Um, and, uh, and they would, there would be like a little end cap in the back where they would have all the sheet music next to like the poster wall that you could flip through and, you know, um, and look at like really like 
a raunchy picture of little Kim and then the sublime album artwork and then like a red hot chili peppers, like also raunchy poster, you know what, like whatever it was. And then a bunch of black light shit, um, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, but yeah. then I, but I always loved looking through like, and seeing what albums if you know, I knew. And back then there was a lot of, you know, it was like, it was like the grunge, like all alternative rock, like kind of heyday. So I remember, um, like one of the early Bush records, I think like razor blade suitcase. And my, like my dad got it, you know, like asked some record store guy, like for Christmas or something that and dookie, um, not at the same exact time, but I remember like seeing and be like, Oh man, that's so cool. Like, I didn't even know that that thing on the record was a guitar, but that's a guitar, you know, like, um, and, uh, and then being able to do that and learning some leads where I'm just like, hey, this is way above my, very you know amateur pay grade right now but if i have the music i can slow it and take it piece by piece that's kind of cool too and i love that about it because maybe somebody is starting out right now or like wants to start playing guitar but the like diatonic scale finger exercise things are not the best at keeping them engaged and exciting that kind of creative familiarity of what they get out of music in general and that's, I think, where it goes a long way too. to be like, hey, if this gives you a project that you can work in, maybe you'll be a little bit more excited to be like, I already know this song really well, so I'll know when I'm getting it, um, as opposed to, you know, playing like some sort of like twinkle, twinkle, little star standard and being like, I, I guess this sounds, I guess this is right, but it's not really fun, you know, um, and then you can play along with the record, you know, um, so this was cool. It was something we talked about for a while, but yes, finally happy. And actually I just, uh, I think we like just posted, uh, officially that, uh, we'll drop it on, you know, um, in like two days from now. So, uh, very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so let's change gears a little bit. I think the, the studio and the podcast kind of go hand in hand. So I want to talk about both of these projects for you. Um, so you've got the Record Process podcast, which is getting ready to kick off season two. Um, the first season is kind of a a journey, if you will, start to finish on what the record process is, and kind of that initial songwriting all the way through, and figure out does it play well an air is it designed for headphones you know really getting into the the nitty-gritty of a lot of stuff um which also ties into the the studio with your music production you do some artist mentoring you've got you know co-writing opportunities let's talk a little bit about you know staying busy when you're not on the road obviously this is that second side of the business right yeah yeah um and increasingly busier actually uh as i mentioned at the top of this so yes you're right uh we'll start with the podcast the season uh season one was ended up being about 20 episodes and we where we kind of outlined yeah the um you know the journey in almost like a a how-to kind of way but at the same time you know we wanted it to be something that conjured up some cool conversations for us of like anecdotal evidence from you know some some kind of signature legends and uh you know artists and uh and stories that we've heard and and passed around among uh producers engineers and and artists and um 
And also, you know, the idea was, hey, we have these conversations anyway when we're in each one of these phases working on a record or, you know, chatting about it and and conceptualizing some like, well, what if we kind of take this route or I think this project would benefit a little bit more from from going this this route because we really want to, you know, capture this side of it. Um, And we're like, well, why don't we like bring that to a more focused like format? And uh, the pandemic had come around. So obviously it was like, hey, well, we can do this uh, from each of our respective homes right now uh, without any great harm. And that's kind of where where that started. Um, we're like, hey, let's let's do some, you know, some interviews. Maybe some people will find some things that, that are interesting or, hey, I have heard that before, but that's a cool reminder. Uh, and actually maybe, you know, I'll, I'll I'll use that next week when I go back into the studio or when I start tracking some demos at home, whatever it might be, you know, apply it to my own band, apply it to other bands. Um, and, uh, so by the time we got halfway through that season, we started realizing like, Hey, this is, um, this is cool, but this will come to an, like the process does in a, in its own way end and then restart again. Right. Um, so we were like, but you know, what doesn't stop and always keeps going the people that are making these records and the records that are always different. So uh, we decided to to start the the groundwork and conceptualize season two, which is much more interview based format where we have special guests come in and talk about a specific record from their career. Um, but not have it just be, you know, there are shows out there that definitely touch on, um, you know, all producers or engineers, right. Um, right. the, the real technical, um, mechanics of that kind of stuff, which is very interesting. And, you know, I learn a ton from those shows. I listen to them a lot. Um, but we wanted to make sure it filled a little bit more of the space, um, throughout the journey of that, like, you know, like the, uh, the first season had implied that there usually is and all the factors that, that add up to make a unique product. Um, and that was, uh, that's what kind of led us to the incredible cast of special guests and albums that we have on deck now. And yeah, um, starting, uh, February 8th. So, uh, next Tuesday, depending on when this comes out, but February 8th, uh, the first episode where I sat down with Derek and Brooks from Mayday Parade. And we talked about their self-titled album who, uh, which is also in a similar, uh, age land milestone boat, um, and turned 10, um, well, two years ago (laughs) at this point, but they're out, you know, getting ready to play that record all the way through as well. So I thought, Hey, this is an incredible thing. I reached out and, um, they were super happy to do it and, and dive back in the, you know, in the time capsule, so to speak. And, and, you know, lay out the whole, the whole process for us. And it's really cool. And, and I think, and so I do that, um, anyway, with a lot of bands, whether we're on tour, it's like, how did it go? What were, you know, were you guys writing on tour? Oh shit. You guys were like literally just doing that in hotel room. Like that's amazing. Or, you know, Hey, like you guys are working with so-and-so on this, on this next record. What, you know, have you talked to him yet? Like what's, what's the process going to look like? You know, it, it always interests me, especially because of everything that wonder years has gone through and seen. And every time we make a record, uh, I get more, uh, 
intrigued and in love with trusting that process um, and almost falling back on not trying to control things too much, but also trying to have a structure that you can rely on and keep you grounded. Um, so it's just like anything, a delicate balance. But yeah, so that's uh, that's the podcast. And we've got a ton of, I wish I honestly, I probably, and even at the 11th hour here, I'm still just like, ah, can I just release all the ones that we have? Like I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like man, I don't want to have to wait like two months for that one. I just, you know, like, or the one I just did, I'm like, ah, but it's such a killer episode. And I can't change it all now. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I could, right. But, um, I think it'll be cool. And there's a couple other reasons. We have some really cool partners that are like, um, that, uh, we work with, whether it be on the studio side or wonder your side that, um, that have offered to, give away some cool stuff as well that um, ties right in with the creative process. So for that reason, I'm kind of like, okay, I shouldn't just dump all of it out there right at once. Um, you know, I, I should maybe pace myself, which is also a solid lesson. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it's something I learned doing this podcast and kind of the other show as well. But like, um, you know, you, you saw my, my post on Instagram about what this week looks like for me. I've got, you know, five interviews in seven days and like every time it's going to be like, well, that pushes out that a week and this one's going to be that week. But every time I get, you know, the big bulk, I'm like, nope, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to release five days a week that week. And then I pull back. So I'm like, but then what am I going to do? You know, like, where does my content go? Um, and I think, you know, that ties into kind of the, the recording process as far as, what we were talking about earlier with singles versus albums or EPs. Like if you can stagger your stuff, you can create this body of work versus dumping all the content you have. If all the content you have is just a single, maybe it's not the right time to dump it yet, you know, like kind of build on it. And like for musicians for mental health, um, I ran into that where I recorded the first like four or five episodes within just a couple days and i'm like but damn it i really want this one to go live and the, you know this was a cool conversation and i think no i have to stick to a schedule um and that's huge in the recording process you know with the studio and stuff too like when do we need to lay down guitars like what's our formula going to look like to map this out because if you don't stick to that stuff you end up with a million different pieces and i'm sure you can speak to this you're gonna have a million different streams and go uh, stems and go what the fuck are we doing like what does this go to where do i need to place this <laughs> yeah it's a tricky game and i think even more so a lot of younger uh relatively unknown artists want to think that they're drake or beyonce and they're like no 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 it's gonna be cool i'm gonna just drop this like wednesday night at like 1 a.m and it's gonna light up the internet I hope it does for you, but especially right. if it's good, chances are are very slim that it will though. And which is the other uh, um, the other end of things that uh, that gets very tricky is you know planning that planning and and preparation thing, which is why season one we ended with not just okay, cool, mastered the songs are there, great. No, releasing it is also a really important point of giving it to your audience, that transaction, that like that communal, you know, uh, experience that we talked about and how you do that, how you curate that is the last piece of control that you have as an artist giving your, you know, your art to the world. Cause once it's out, it's no longer really yours 
you know, to explain people are going to make sense of it how they want, you know, you've done all the curating you can, right? So that's your last piece of curation in terms of, well, first, I want you to kind of hear this to warm you up and get you thinking about this. And then I want, you know, to hit you really suddenly with this. And and this is also goes back to the album uh, philosophy that we talk about, because there's a way to curate dynamics and a whole journey, um, both sonically, thematically from a narrative, <clears throat> that I think is is really important and gets kind of lost on just, you know, shuffling around and, and songs ending up in playlists here and there, you know. So um, yeah, that's that's a piece that is heavily, uh, I think, uh, underserved by a lot of younger artists and, um, you know, preparing and giving yourself time and not being impatient and just being like, okay, it's done. Let me put it. And I've seen bands do this and I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't stop you. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like, it is your song. It's, you know, but, um, also you're just going to kind of just go out with that, the video, the everything. And it's like, then you, you have nothing left. You have no gas in the tank. So also what, what would happen if the song did start doing really well? You'd have nothing behind it ready to go, you know, um, which is like kind of like label and, and you know, kind of industry like success point like number one is just like don't think about just the album release think about the six months after it and assume that like if it goes well here's what we do if it doesn't hit what you know the goals that we're that we're shooting for what's our b plan what are the, what's the next thing that we try you know um and having that kind of thought ready and organized and mapped out is going to make you way more of a threat and, and way more likely to have some long-term success and slowly ramp up. I mean, hell, like the Wonder Years, it was not, uh, you know, uh, flip the switch, this album's out, and now we're headlining Reading and Leeds type shit, right? right? It was a slow evolution to now where we are now playing a record that's 10 years old, you know, um, and, and still like doing the largest shows of our career, you know, and and that is a fact that's not lost on us either. And I think it it is a, a testament to a bit of the slow and steady mentality which is not very popular in a lot of the uh online spheres nowadays you know um yeah so trying to find a an appreciation for that and how you can work that into your process and and figure out hey i really want this you're gonna let's let's hit some hurdles let's hit some roadblocks and that will really refine where you want to go and and what kind of you know that'll bring out the true ca underlying character i think yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, a couple things I want to touch on there real quick. You know, number one, like you said, if, if you have nothing in line next, what do you do? Like there, if you look back through several bands histories, there's a reason that they're a constantly writing. It's not just because they're super creative people. It's because if this fails, I've got songs ready that I can drop a single or I can drop another EP six months down the road as a rebound and say well you guys may not have liked that but here's what what else we're doing you know and i think that plays a lot into kind of you know the longevity like you're talking about because if you're if you drop a single and then i have to wait six months to a year before i get an ep or an album i may have forgot about you by that point what where's your relevance um mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting to to hear you talk about, you know, the scope of an album as well, because I'm a firm believer. I grew up in the age of, 
when you buy an album, bare minimum, the first time that you listen to it, it is front to back, period. It is, you know, arranged that way for a reason. Um, are you going to love every song in that order? Maybe, maybe not. But there's a reason that it's there. And I think so many times now, because of instant gratification and everything, people skip around to the songs. Oh, this was a single, so I have to start here. Like, no, they, they started you there to hook you, but... Go back and listen to it the way they intended it to be listened to. Yeah. Well, and again, too, we're, we're in no way naive enough to think that everybody that's coming to listen to us play albums front to back uh, every night has digested them that way in their right. like for the entire span of their, um, you know, of their listening history with it. No, that's totally okay. However, they probably have at least once or twice. And I think, you know, people from uh, that grew up in a similar time period to us where everything was on CD um, and, and like, and very much fixed medium initially for, you know, for the first, uh, you know, really formative years, uh, you were, you were tethered to that, you know, like yeah. you had to like skip around. And if you wanted to skip, you'd have to like, you know, fast forward 10 times to get to the last track on the record or whatever. And so sometimes it was just easier to leave, you know, to leave it on. But also at that same time, I think, yeah, there was probably more weight in thinking that through to make sure someone stayed hooked and stayed engaged for an entire album, because a label, if you're putting a million dollars into it, you don't want them to get through like $200,000 worth of that. And then just be like, "Ah, I don't know because of one dud, right? You know, right. which, I mean, there were plenty of, you know, one hit wonders in, in a certain era where you're like, hey, this is a radio hit. The rest of the album sounds weird and mm-hmm. maybe not good, you know? I did a podcast, actually, my friend's show, uh, where I talked about um, uh, the Sugar Ray album, Floored, and how that was such a weird bait and switch because they kind of wanted to be a new metal band, but then the fly thing happened. Uh, and if you, if anybody, which I'm sure a lot of people probably did not because that was such a like huge single hit. Um, but I bought the record uh, and the rest of it doesn't sound like fly, you know, to, to say the least, if you're a curious, like go, um, go listen to a few of the other tracks, like the intro on that record, if you've never, and you'll be like, oh, weird. Yeah, because they wanted to be touring with like Corn and Limp Biscuit, which is something that if you look at Mark McGrath now, you're like, yeah, I feel like I don't see that. Well, they all, he saw that and they almost broke up because of it back then. Actually, very funny. So, um, so yeah, uh, then you get that if, uh, if you don't have a, a great album. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, growing up, had the cassette adapter in my car so that I could play my disc man in the passenger seat, you know, like we'll, we'll date myself some, but I remember (laughs) there, there were definitely CDs that I had bought that like you had to memorize the track listing if you didn't love it because, okay, I put the CD in, I need to skip to track four. Then I want to go to track nine and then I want to jump back to two. Like it it was all over the place back then. Uh, Whereas now, you know, with Spotify, Apple, all that, build your playlist the way you want it and right. you're set. Right. Um, I think a lot of that comes into the instant gratification too, which I'm sure you can talk about from your artist mentoring standpoint to some degree where everybody wants that reward right now. And I don't think they understand, you know, you guys hustled for, for years before that reward started to come through. And I think 
now people look at the internet and social media and go, well, I posted it. Why don't I have a million streams? Or why didn't this, this photo get, um, you know, 10,000 likes or whatever. And I think with that, you have to kind of take that back seat to yourself and say, cool, that didn't take off. Was it a timing? You actually, I, I was listening to, I think it's the last episode before the trailer of your podcast where you talk about like knowing your market, where, where am I going to get the right exposure? How am I going to do this in a fashion that um, is going to get the traction that, that I want, you know, because if you see sticks the first, but if you don't learn from what stuck, what are you going to do next? Right. And I think that's um, that's kind of like the great separator um, between uh, what noise will kind of rise to the surface and, you know, what will stay relegated to to kind of get lost in the mix. Um, you know, uh, I think you, you hit it head on and there's there's not a whole lot else to be said in that um, other than kind of coaching the mindset up of steering into those mistakes, steering into those failures, so to speak, and then learning from them. Because that's really the only way you stretch and grow is when things don't go the way you planned, right? You have a plan. You yeah. Nine times out of 10, don't exactly land, uh, you know, 100% on the mark of where you were aiming for or how you drew it up. Or it just doesn't look like you thought it would when you get there. And then you learn from that. And then you make your next move. But if you pass by, if you, if you pass go and don't collect that $200 worth of insight uh, and info, you know, um, then you're really selling yourself short and doing yourself a disservice. And everybody else that is learning from like the floundering, they're going to come out a year, two years from now, years from now, way more confident and be like, well, I totally fucked this up. So I never did that again because I knew that that was not helpful or not useful. Or yeah, I was really confused because I wasn't getting this. So I went and asked somebody um, that was having really solid results and they kind of clued me in that actually maybe try this or this. And then I tried that second or third option and that's what actually started you know, moving the needle. And it's about that discovery. And so you kind of have to go about things, not only with like a growth mindset, but with a, a curiosity about you from the artistry and from a wonder of like, hey, I wonder what people are going to like this. I wonder how people are going to, you know, are going to respond to it. Not I hope, you know, or whatever, um, because then you start setting yourself up for, um, you know, you start managing expectations, but in a, a healthy, creative way. So you're not let down, but you're more encouraged than ever when you learn something about the process. Because right now, especially if you're an independent artist, there's a lot to learn, you know? So that's why I say, get out there and learn. When people ask, what advice do you have? I say, go write bad songs, write a ton of them. If you're like, hey, I'm starting a band. It's like, why? Because you learn so much shit about yourself with every bad verse chorus every bridge that makes no sense every you know what i mean like every intro that's three minutes too long every outro that goes on for like 
13 minutes, you're not in Agata de Vida. You don't have to do that. You know, maybe it's cool, but maybe save it for LP seven where you really get into that like space jazz exploration phase. Cause then you'll have the fans yeah, yeah. that are on board and there for the journey, you know? Um, but also that, that said, go do it, do whatever you want. I, in, in no way shaming any genre here. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm all for anything weird, wild or, um, avant-garde, but that is to say like, you put it out, you learn from it, and then go and then repeat. And each time you're going to get stronger, you're going to hit the gym, get those songwriting reps, get those demoing reps, get those band live performance reps, right? Um, and it's not all going to be pretty. I, I enter exhibit A of the beginning of our career and all the bands that we were in before it, you know? Um, and I'm sure that almost anybody else that you would have on the show or is out there touring or about to be touring right now will say the same thing. They did not show up at 11 and were just like rock star number one, you know? Um, it took a few weird, awkward recitals, <laughs> um, you know, marching band competitions and such, if you're me. But, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's solid advice to go find the mistakes, dude. Um, don't be afraid of it. The second you're not afraid of it, then you're really dangerous, you know? Yeah, because I'm going to fuck up the quote, so I'll just paraphrase. There's a quote out there about how basically when you have no fear there's nothing that can stop you. And this is a prime example. Dip your toes in, in TikTok, Instagram Reels, Spotify, figure out like, okay, a stream works for this, but on TikTok, if I do it this way, you know, whether, do an Instagram Live where you're writing the song or, or kind of setting up that design and see what takes off. You're gonna find there's an audience out there. And when, when you hook that audience, everything's golden from then on maybe not in the commercial success standpoint but once you learn like this is my approach now you have those tools to start doing everything you want to do right it's all about feedback and you're not you're going to get a whole lot less feedback if you never put any of these things out into the world or put yourself out there that's with a lot of the the mentoring and kind of the the artist coaching stuff that i that i've ended up doing it's a lot about that. It's like, hey, where can you kind of put yourself out there to explore these things? Or if you have these questions, let's go find calculated ways for you to test the waters to answer those questions. Because I, there is no universal answer. So if you're coming and some, someone is trying to sell you uh, like a bag of hot air that says, I have every answer to everything that works every time, then turn and fucking run, you know? And that's why it's also weird that I, you know, I would have never like, 10, 15 years ago, expected myself to be in this position doing this. But that's how I've actually realized to be like, oh, I can show up every day and feel completely honest and genuine about it. Because if I don't know, I'll be like, hey, truthfully, I don't know. But I have some thoughts on how we could find out, you know, and here's maybe I could I could help you lay out a structure and way and we can do it together and make sure that we get that feedback and then analyze the results together, you know? So that's, uh, that's kind of how I try to treat that. And I think it's, it's really true. Yeah. Yeah. That's everything I've got for this episode. I do think that we need to have you on the other show at some point. So we'll, we'll figure that out. We'll do it when you're off tour and everything. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity, obviously to plug everything because you, you are wearing so many hats. Obviously the wonder years is still a, a, prime um priority for you 
It's certainly but, the most fashionable of top hats right now. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So let's, uh, you know, tell people what to expect over the next couple of months, especially with the Wonder Years, with the tour and everything, where they can find you, where they can find the band. Season two of the record process. So make sure that if you're still in here listening to us, go follow that because even if you don't write music, I think it's interesting to hear you guys talk about Process. Uh, and then now getting into interviews about some of these potentially iconic albums is going to be huge. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stories, a lot of anecdotes in there that I think do, do transcend, uh, if not just genre, but even like creative medium and format. So, um, I love that about it too, because there are definitely tools in there and things, something that might be like, Oh, that is a weird thing. Or like, huh? Maybe I need someone like that to come into the process and shake things up the way they did with that record, you know? Um, so yeah, definitely. You said it. Uh, you can follow all that stuff at the record process at True Level Studio on Instagram or uh, the respective truelevelstudio.com for any of that. Um, my website, caseycavalier.com, but uh, usually I'll hang out if uh, any other social media platform, it's probably Instagram. Instagram. Ooh, that's an alternate one. Uh, that's a darker gram. Uh, Instagram. Um, Freudian slip there. Am I afraid of Instagram? <laughs> um, uh, no, but uh, case underscore rock is the handle there on that one. Um, feel free to mention me. If you do listen to the show um, in the coming weeks, let me know. Don't be afraid. I know some people are like, oh, they're never going to read. It's like, no, I read the messages. I, I We ask at the end of every episode, every episode uh, what you think and, and who you want on. It's like, I want that. I, I want um, yep. that same kind of community like we mentioned at the shows. You know, It's like people being like, yo, this band's good. If you like that band, you should go listen to that band. You know, um, yeah. And stuff like that. And round around, around we go. But that's about it. Uh, Wonder Your Stuff, obviously. Obviously, the wonderyearsband.com. All the show stuff is there. There are a lot of shows ahead. Um, probably one, maybe somewhat close to you. Um, but uh, if you're listening to this now and the tours or the show is later in the tour, or even if it's very soon, I, I would probably grab tickets in advance. Just uh, I know we always people always say that, you know, but I've already seen enough like crying face emojis about how the shows are sold out. And it breaks my heart every time. I'm just like, I can't make more tickets. I wish like I wish I could. So uh, consider this like one last like pleading, um, you know, wish to be like, hey, I want you there. I want you to smile with us. I want you to scream when you have a lyric that you want to scream. I want you to, you know, cry and or do whatever else you want to do at any of those other points throughout those records. So um, come do it with us. And that's about it for me. I mean, the rest of the year looks crazy. Uh, the podcast is is going to go for at least a while. Season two is kind of open-ended uh, at the moment because I keep having so many good interviews and opportunities come in, um, which is a good problem to have. And then the studio has, I mean, I'm doing so much um remotely these days actually too because of the pa pandemic and kind of flipped into that like virtual coaching stuff and now uh, i'm doing a lot of like remote production with some artists from all over whether it be like uh, someone out in like budapest or in the uk uh or like west coast or even now because i moved down to atlanta i'm doing some remote stuff with a bunch of bands in philly you know so um and i still uh the studio in, in jersey just uh 
just outside of Philly uh, is still there and I still do sessions out of there. So, um, you know, you can uh, reach out if you're ever curious about any of the stuff that we have going on in that regard. But yeah, that that about does it, man. So, we, I mean, and look out, um, follow some of that stuff because there are, I'm most excited about, uh, I mentioned that band Vanity Draft, but there are a few others that, uh, that are going to, have tracks start rolling out very soon uh, that I'm really proud of and had so much fun putting together. So uh, hold tight that that's right around the corner as well. Oh, and uh, wonder years. Um, yeah. A whole nother record. Sorry. Uh, you know, um, right. That little uh, old chestnut. Yeah. Nothing major. Um, yeah uh, you know what to say? I mean, it don't worry about it too much. It's only our best record ever. Um, but admittedly, I would say that, being me wouldn't i i will say that everybody else that knows the wonder years uh like either on the label side or people that have been very close to our camp for our entire career that are less biased as the people writing the music have also shared that opinion of it when they've heard it so take that as you will but that will be out um later this summer yeah awesome man i appreciate your time casey um like i said I'm planning on seeing you guys in March, so we'll get out on the road and, and hook up there. And, you know, stay safe. Obviously, let's hope this fucking w- winter storm doesn't really happen, and we'll just live life, man. Yes, I will send some extremely warm anti-weather vibes um, out your way. Uh, stay safe, and yeah, hopefully uh, I'll see you next month. Awesome. Sounds good, man. All right, thanks. Thanks, man. And that was my conversation with Casey Cavalier of The Wonder Years and his own podcast, The Record Process. Um, definitely want you guys to go check out. I I was going to say The Wonder Years, but at this point, like, if you've not checked out The Wonder Years, I don't know exactly why you're here. Uh, <laughs> but if you haven't for some reason and you just love my show maybe and you know check out every episode which would be super dope as well uh go check out the wonder years uh, if you're a fan of um pop punk emo just relatable life songs they're a band that is going to hit you in the face um also i want you guys to check out casey's podcast and that podcast is called the record process Um, the first season may or may not be for everybody. It depends on, you know, kind of where you're at in the music industry, um, and fan base and, and things like that. You know, um, the first season literally walks through the record process, uh, everything from creative design, working your way through, you know, recording demos, the stems, all that sort of stuff mixing mastering how to release it you know where to volume level all that sort of stuff so it's it's a very technical podcast but at the same time like casey and and the guys do such a good job breaking it down i think it's enjoyable for everyone but season two is getting ready to drop and that's where some really cool shit regardless of if you're trying to record music or not is going to be uh casey is hooking up with a bunch of bands and artists um, from all kinds of different genres and talking about some of their most uh, well-recognized albums and, you know, what are considered iconic albums and things like that. Um, So, yeah, that's going to be a really, really cool 
opportunity for you guys to hear some stories about what went into creating maybe some of these like soundtracks of your life. Um, and yeah, that's everything I've got. Be sure that you go follow Casey um, and the Wonder Years and the record process. Um, you know, they're again, he's doing all sorts of cool shit. The band's got new stuff. He's got new stuff. Just go show support. Um, and then, of course, obviously, I would love for you guys to uh, be sure that you've liked the You Make the Scene Facebook page, Instagram, uh, follow us on whatever streaming platform you're on. All of that is super helpful and super cool. Uh, and then drop a comment on Instagram, if you would, about this episode. Um, Casey and I are kind of playing with the idea probably definitely going to happen about having him on musicians for mental health uh that'll probably be in the summer ish um i'm gonna wait for tour to be over for him that way it's easier to schedule um but it may be maybe a season two thing i don't know yet we'll see what happens but um you know go leave comments let me know here's a great thing let me know what your favorite song off of either or both the upsides and suburbia i've given you all and now i'm nothing um i would love to hear you know what songs on there you just really relate to and that that mean a lot to you um and then lastly i i'm going to put it out there because live music seems to be ramping back up Um, And I'm excited for that. You know, more tours are happening. Protect your fucking ears. Um, You're not too young. You're not too cool. And ear damage does not give a fuck about either of those things. Uh, Eargasm earplugs. They do not pay to sponsor my podcast. Uh, I am a ear ambassador basically is what they call it uh a brand ambassador if you will um so not gonna lie to you i do get a little kickback off of that when you go to their site and use my code however you also get a discount so head over to eargasm earplugs use the promo code ymts that's you make the scene just the initials uh, you'll get 10% off the order. You can protect your hearing, not lose the quality of sound, and be able to have conversations in the car after a concert without having to scream, uh, which is a cool thing. And if you've never experienced that, it's time. So um, that's everything, guys. As always, remember, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.